So I'm going to maybe mention the pantry a couple of times in my in my sermon. Uh, why will be become clear. Um, so over the last few weeks, uh, and this has been our Gilgal series, and this is the, the last one, um, and uh, we have been looking at this pivotal moment when God commissioned or uh, recommissioned the Israelites, reconfirmed his covenant with them, ruled away their approach, uh, their shame and their slave mentality um, when they were in the desert, um, and set them forward in the promised land. And to be the people who would inherit the promise, they had to shake off everything that would hinder them. And the battle that needed to be won, the training that needed to happen, was primarily in their hearts and minds. Um, and often for us to step into the fullness of what God has for us, we have to be willing to do battle with the way we think and act to, ch- to change state and behave in a different way, moving from familiar and safe to a place of growth, learning, and adventure. But that can feel scary and risky as well. So very briefly, let me tell you a little story about, about Debbie and I and a time when we had to do that very thing. Um, so in 2005, Debbie and I were sitting in uh, Belfast in our nice little house in East Belfast with our family living around the corner with our friends across the road. We had established careers. We had a, a short commute we had leadership positions in a great church. We had a beautiful baby daughter, and Debbie was pregnant with her second child. And everything was great. But we also had a sense of God calling us from the safe and familiar and into the unknown. It felt risky, and we knew it would be uncomfortable. And we had taken risks in the past. We had been used to doing that, but now the stakes felt higher because we had one child um, and another child on the way. We were a bit older with a few more battle scars. The price seemed higher to pay. And it, it felt harder to do. But we sold up um, our house in, in East Belfast. Um, and I don't know if you know this about people from Belfast, right? But th- as far as they're concerned, there is no road outside Sprucefield. Once you get past Sprucefield, you have to get in the tractor or some kind of four-wheel drive vehicle in order to find the rest of the country. Um, and that, so that's where we were in our place of comfort and security and everything that we knew, we, everything around us we knew, and we had to step out in 2005. And actually this month, it'll be 16 years um, since we did that. And we went and we planted a church called Upper Band Vineyard. Um, and then that has been part of the story now of Emmanuel. And so for all of us, there are seasons in life when we need to be able to determine uh, where we're at. Um, and, and as we're looking at this Gilgal passage, you will see that this is a threshold season for um, the children of Israel. It's a stepping out moment where they're going from the predictable reality of walking around the desert for 40 years into something completely different. And that's something completely different. Um, we talk about it being risk, but it is a faith journey because at each step along the way, they don't know what is going to happen. But if you have your Bibles uh, with you, and the, and the Scripture will be on the screen here, we're going to look at Joshua 5, um, from verses 9 to 12. This is the last little bit um, in our Gilgal passage. And uh, the first verse is just tying in with what we've looked at before. So then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. 
On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. So whilst at Gilgal, God is marking his people again and speaking into their identity through circumcision. Um, this moment too is really significant when the manna stops. So for the 40 years in the wilderness, the children of Israel had received manna from heaven. Now, what is manna, you might ask? Well, the word in Hebrew um, isn't actually much help to us because the word in Hebrew literally translates, what is it? What is it? Um, and we're going to look at that. But if you, you can turn in your Bibles, but this will be on the screen. It's a bit of a long passage, but um, it's really important just to provide the context of what manna is and why it was there in the first place, okay? So the whole Israelite community, this is uh, Exodus 16 from verse um, 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is in between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out here into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. <clears throat> so they get to rest on the seventh day. Now, if you jump down to verse 11, it says, The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes of frost, like frost on the ground, appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they asked each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given to you. This is what the Lord commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Um, that's a unique verse there. Um, some gathered much, some little. But when they measured it out by the omer, the one who had gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little didn't have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. And then if we jump down to verse 31. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it in before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant of the law so that it was preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land 
that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So, a bit of a long passage, but hopefully you're reasonably familiar with this. The children of Israel are rescued out of slavery in Egypt. They're brought into the desert, but there's no food. And God provides manna. And he provides just enough manna for every single person um, throughout those 40 years. So, um, Philip Emerson has this little phrase, which which I love, about this particular um, story and about what God was doing. And he says that Egypt was the land of not enough. The desert was the land of just enough. And Canaan was the land of more than enough. So for 40 years, there was just enough. Regular provision from God that has kept them in survival mode. Enough for each day. And this requires a level of trust. But after a while, you would imagine, particularly after 40 years, or maybe even probably after the first few months, that everybody just got used to the fact that there was always manna there. They would have grown up with an expectation that every day when you go out there, it's there, and you need to collect more on the sixth day because we rest on the seventh day. But this is supernatural provision in this encircling moment in history. But it's not their destiny. It's not what God wants them to step into. It is survival for a moment. And a new generation in our story where we're at now has risen up and there is new territory for this new generation. There is new opportunity for this new generation, but there are going to be new trials for this new generation too. And as we've discussed over the last few weeks, they came across the River Jordan. And this journey through the water is almost like a rebirthing moment. It is a foreshadowing of baptism that they come through the waters and um, they are born into this new land, and actually circumcision follows just after that, and then every newborn child, um, male obviously is circumcised after that, and circumcision um, takes them as the marker of this new reality in this new territory. But they have to leave behind some stuff as well. One of the things, the last thing that, that God breaks state with um, before they step fully into the promised land is this hand-to-mouth feeding. And he disrupts this because they need to change state in order to step into their destiny. God remains the same, but his way of provision and support and protection is changing. He is the same supernatural God of manna provision, but there's no manna anymore because God will provide in a different way. You see, the Israelites were told that they were going to be led into a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. Mm -hmm. And um, if you freeze milk and honey, what do you get? Ice cream. And what flavor do you get? Poober. Yeah? Bet you never realized that before. That's why they've probably never been able to copyright that name, because it was already in the Bible. So, this is just to wake you up again, you see, after a few minutes. You might think, why does he say silly jokes part of the way through a sermon? It's just to keep you on your toes. Exodus 3 says, Go, go assemble the, Israel, the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord your God, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzarites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So you didn't have enough in Egypt, 
and I'm going to lead you to a place. And so this poetic language, this idea of abundant provision, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, when I was a child, I actually kind of pictured some kind of milk and honey waterfall. That was just, you know, because literally flowing with milk and honey was where I went to in my mind. But I think what, what God wants to do is to describe to these people the kind of luxury kind of milk and honey, the sweet and, and the tasty experience. This is what the promised land is offering you. But they spent 40 years eating bland manna, eating the same thing every day, and living and eating hand to mouth. So they're going to move from eating and living hand to mouth to living off the land. And what does it look like maybe for us to mature to the point of not just taking little handouts all the time from God, but learning with God to start feeding ourselves? What does that look like as a transition in our faith? You see, there's this little phrase that we use sometimes in, in Christian circles, and we say about people being saved and stuck. And I think one of the reasons why we get saved and stuck in the first place is that we sell people short when it comes to the gospel. And the word gospel means good news. And we talk about the gospel of salva salvation, but Jesus talked about the good news of the kingdom of God, didn't he? Uh, and so we say to people, hey, listen, you know, if you ask Jesus to forgive your sins and invite him into your heart, you'll not go to hell. Amen. All right? So then if we do that, and that's all we tell people, what we end up with is church feeling like a bit of a waiting room. We'll come here every week, and we'll just wait around until heaven, and then everything will be amazing. It'll be great. But Jesus said that he had come to tell us the good news of the kingdom of God the rule and reign of God here now on earth as it is in heaven. And so um, this kind of story about the, the, these Israelites walking around and around in the desert, just getting just enough to survive, can sometimes feel like what our faith is like. Our experience of faith is just like, oh, you know, we're just kind of surviving and, you know, until we get to heaven and, and then everything will be all right. And, and, and there's just enough. There's just enough to get by. But that's not what we're called to live into. We're called to live into the fullness of the kingdom of God. The Israelites in our story are, are called to live into the fullness of the promised land in Canaan, a land of abundance. And so are we stuck eating manna when we're called to the hard work of cultivating a variety of crops and of creativity in our lives. And if we're stuck, we need a new mind for a new way of thinking. To step into the new things requires that we leave this kind of just, just enough mentality behind. But it also requires that we move from a place of safety and security because at least when there's just enough, there's just enough, you know, and you know where everything's going to come and everything's kind of settled to a place of risk. And you see, there's actually something of uh, Eden in, that's hinted in, in the passage that we've been looking at, that they would eat off the land, that they would reconnect with the land. You see, the children of Israel, if they've been walking around for 40 years in the desert, they're, they're not connected with the earth. 
in the same way that people who farm and cultivate would have been. They've become disconnected from the very thing that they were designed to be living in. In Eden, people walked in a garden. God chose the start of his creation to be in a garden where he was there. Well, there was all sorts of variety and creativity where there were things growing and crops um, to be harvested and so much more. And I can't help but reflect on the difference between lifting up manna from the ground and working and living off the land. There's not much fulfillment from daily handouts, but there is fulfillment from seeing something that you plant a seed, that that seed grows, that you cultivate it, that you pick out the weeds, and then over time, you get produce. And see, we live in a society where we have actually become disconnected from the source of our food and from the effort required to produce it. It's actually really important, kind of spiritually and practically, a point to consider here. See, too often our consumption of food looks like... um, a manna experience. We go to the supermarket and we buy bland foods and we consume them with little thought for wh- from where they came from. Uh, and actually food and eating becomes a kind of necessity. Now, sometimes that's just what it's like. And if you um, have to cook every single day, you realize, my goodness, this is awful. Like, just, what am I going to eat today becomes the, one of the stresses of life. But there's so much more to it. And that's one of the things that we see, um, what Sharon was talking about in Freedom Foods, is that people who have found engagement with food just ending up becoming this lowest common denominator of survival, of just enough, are being offered the freedom to choose healthy um, foods, to choose variety, to re-engage with the creativity that, that it, what it, when it looks like to make good food. And so one of the things that we've done with Freedom Foods is um, add, add in things like cooking courses because the people who have come and been part of Freedom Foods are saying to us, I'd love to know how to cook this and I'd love to know how to cook that and what, what could I do with this and what could I do with that? And they're being, their minds are being opened again to possibilities that they didn't think were there. And how they have engaged with food has become different. Why is it different? Because it's creative. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Why is it those things? Because it comes from the creator. See, we as humans were designed to have nature under our feet and in our eye line, to walk in it, to experience it, to live in it, to encounter it, to have soil in between our toes and our fingers and to engage with God's wonderful creation. And I think we need to do that practically when it comes to to food. I think that we really need to re-engage with all that kind of stuff. We need to think about the physical and mental health and well-being aspects of engaging with our whole food chain and our environment. I think there's so much in that for us. But if you like, if you think about that, just so that's a practical perspective on that, but the metaphorical kind of more aspect on that is that actually when it comes to our faith, we're not just called to kind of come and go, right, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to get my, 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 my feed, and hopefully this is going to do me, this handout is going to do me um, to get me through. Oh, well, I can go to Life Trip on or the corporate prayer, and that'll give me a little bit more mana for, to get me through in the middle of the week. And then I'll go to, you know, I, we can live our faith like the children of Israel in the desert. 
looking for handouts to just get enough. Or we can learn to feed ourselves spiritually. We can learn to till the land of our own hearts and our own souls. We can learn what it means to actually cultivate good things in our lives. And we can feast on God's goodness. Because that's what we are designed for. We're designed for productivity. We're designed for creativity. And um, we're designed to, to eat of the fullness of God. Bible says in, in Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I would love for us to think about what it looks like for a shift to happen maybe in our lives where we've become a bit complacent and a bit lazy and, and we're kind of looking more for mana handouts um, rather than actually thinking, well, how can I really cultivate the goodness of God in my life? And that's one of the reasons why we talk about um, our, our life rhythms in, in church, is that we say, okay, you know, we can, can come to church and, and we, we hopefully get something out of that, you know, we, and that's okay. But if we're surviving on that, that's not okay because we need to eat food practically uh, and drink every single day. And in the same way, spiritually, we need to learn to eat and drink from God. We need to eat and drink from his word. We need to renew our minds in his truth every single day so we can cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Is the reason why it's called the fruit of the Spirit is because it takes time to cultivate these things in your life. It's intentional action. You're tilling the, the, the soil of your own heart. You're picking out the weeds. And, and again and again in Scripture, we see Jesus uses these kind of metaphors about, about gardening and, and growing and sowing seeds because what, what he's actually saying is the work of growing in faith and becoming more and more like Jesus is not picking up something from the ground or picking out something from the supermarket as much as it's actually about planting a seed, watering it, picking out the weeds, watching it grow, fertilizing it, taking time, watching the seasons go past and finally seeing fruit and fruitfulness. That's what it takes for us to truly be transformed um, in our hearts and in our lives. But it's, it's also important to ask ourselves, what season are we in at the moment? Sometimes it's okay to be in a season where you just life is really hard and really difficult and you need a bit of manna from heaven. You just need God, God's provision. And maybe you can't, you don't even have the strength to pray. You don't have the strength to read God's word. That's okay if you're in that season. But one of the ways to come out of that season is to slowly start cultivating through your own effort and, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit a pattern of life that will strengthen you from your very core. So the danger with living from service to service and from meeting to meeting is that we become fast food junkies, going from one meeting to another. And, and, and you know, I don't know if you know, if you eat fast food, 
after a while you realize that you, you want more, you need more, because it's full of sugar, it's full of, full of all these things, that your body just says, we need more of this, and it's never quite enough. And uh, we don't ever want to be in that position where we think, just one more meeting, just one more event, and I'm going to be okay. Because when those things are taken away from us, like when COVID happened, we couldn't actually rely on them. And it's interesting, actually, that something kind of weirdly similar happens uh, in the New Testament, in, in the Bible up around this, where in John chapter 6, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And these people have had this amazing, miraculous experience of being fed on the mountainside. 5,000 people were fed. And the next day, they, they go looking for Jesus again. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, this is John chapter 6 from verse 25, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me. Not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who sent him. So they asked him, what sign will you give um, that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, they misunderstood the sign of the feeding of the 5,000. They thought, oh, great, this is going to be like, you know, when it was back in, in, in the desert and God was like feeding us all the time. And we, we've heard about that for generations, how God fed um, our ancestors and Jesus has fed the 5,000. And they think, brilliant, it's going to be the way it was before. This is going to be amazing. All we need to do is rock up every day and like, go on, come on, Jesus, feed us. And Jesus is like, you're missing this. You're missing what is really going on. Um, and in fact, if they paid any kind of attention, they would have seen, and we need to see, is that the provision of um, the desert was just enough. But the feeding of the 5,000 was what? How many baskets were left over? Why were there 12 baskets left over? More than enough, but why were they left over? Yes, so rep, probably, possibly representing the 12 tribes, but actually that the 12 tribes had something to give to others. Why would there be 12 baskets of, of food left over except that there was enough for others too? And that's a really interesting challenge for us, isn't it? That actually rather than us living in survival mode to just feed ourselves enough spiritually to get by and to do this Christian thing, could it be that we're called to cultivate the work of the Spirit in our lives to the point where we have something to give others, to bless others with. 
And that, that's really challenging, isn't it? You know, because we, we kind of quite often live in quite a selfish way uh, and we, we think about our, ourselves and maybe our immediate family. Have I got enough for me? Have I got enough for my family? Um, practically speaking, but also spiritually speaking. But the interesting thing about a society or a culture that moves from handouts to living off the land is that you have to move from thinking just about your own family and the people around you to thinking about the whole community. Because um, you become interdependent. Some people will cultivate some crops. Some people will be shepherds. Some people will make produce to, and, and items to store those things. There will be a whole kind of manufacturing process. The person who grows grain is not necessarily the person that makes bread. You know, you because this whole ecosystem develops around the land. We are quite detached from it in, a, in our modern society. But interdependence happens. And we realize that we're all connected because um, if the farmer doesn't bring the crops in, nobody eats, everybody starves. We're all connected. And, and I think that we as Christians need to realize that God has given us spiritually more than enough so that we can share with others. But sometimes as well, God has given us practically, physically more than enough so that we can share with others. Um, and during covid I heard this word on, or no, actually I read it. I read it in, in a news article and um, that Norway, when COVID happened, declared a state of dugnad. Uh, I'm sure you all know what dugnad is. Um, but the word dugnad, right? I'd never heard of it before. But there are other words in other cultures as well, like harambe, which is the, the word that they, they have in Kenya. And you might have heard of Ubuntu which is a word that um, Desmond Tutu is really famous for saying. And all three of these words mean the same thing. They all mean we all work together. Or uh, Ubuntu means I am because we are. And we have lost this, people. We've lost this idea that unless we're all thriving, none of us are thriving, that we're connected to each other, that true community thinks, well, it's not okay for me to be part of a community where I'm doing okay and other people in that community are struggling because we're connected. We're part of the same thing. We're together. And so when we become part of the body of Christ, we can no longer think just about us. We can no longer think just about what we have got and whether we have enough. We have to think about abundance because abundance means that we can give to others who are struggling and who are in a season of life where things are difficult. We have to embrace community again in a different way. And so for the children of Israel, as they entered the promised land, they had to change from being wandering desert picker-uppers of what is it to people who would develop their skills to harvest, to work the land, to feed each other, to look after each other, to be this life-giving community, and to work beyond just survival for themselves, but to be a blessing to others. And I think that that is kind of what we're called to do in this season. Practically speaking out there, in, in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis, you know, we all know that, that that's going on. Um, but I have met so many people recently and I've chatted to them about what's going on in their lives. And I was walking down Port Downtown Centre the other day, just 
thinking about that, and, and I, I just was just overwhelmed with a sense of, we can't help these people. Like, there's too many problems. It's too complex. There are too many issues. There are too many people that need fed. There are too many people that don't have enough money to pay for heating to heat their house. It's too much. And then um, I just I just got really emotional and thought, do you know, we, we just need a revival. We need an actual spiritual revival in this land. Whatever needs to happen for our communities to thrive has to be supernatural in its origin now because all the practical solutions that I can think of or that people can think of and politicians can think of are not enough. They're not enough. And that's a great place to be in when we acknowledge that actually supernatural provision is the only way forward. So supernatural provision is the only way forward in your life for you to grow in your faith and for God to cultivate through the work of the Spirit good things in your life and in your heart. But supernatural provision is what your family needs. It's what this church needs. It's what our communities need out there is that we need to move from a place of just enough to more than enough. And particularly we as God's people need to realize that we're called to live in a more than enough so that other people can have enough. And I think it's a real challenge um, for us. So just as I'm finishing, what I want to ask you is, what is it in the past that maybe has been your go-to, your mana? What, is, what does a past season look like where you thought, you know, I really, this was great, what God was doing here. And is there a new season where you need to give up what was enough in the past? And you need to move on and step forward and think, am I going to st step forward into a place of risk? Am I going to step into a place where God, I don't know what exactly is going to happen here, but I believe that you're going to come and you're going to move we take me beyond what I know intellectually and spiritually. We take me beyond my comfort zone in terms of how I live out my faith, how I share my life. Will you come and do a deeper work in my heart in areas that I've kept hidden from you and not wanted you to poke about in? Because just enough has been my default, but actually I want more. And to do more, to see more happen in my life, it's going to be painful. Or could it be that, that maybe you've developed some really good spiritual rhythms in your life that are bringing you so much fruitfulness and you think, okay, God, you're doing something amazing in my life, whether it's spiritually fruit or whether it's maybe even financially or with your time that you've, you've found yourself in a place of fruitfulness. What do you do with fruitfulness? Um, very often what happens when you grow stuff yourself is that you, you, you decide you're going to grow lettuces and then you have 20 and, and you can't eat 20. But you get the, the blessing of thinking, well, who can I give this to? And so if you're in a season of fruitfulness in your life, what does it look like for you to give from that place? And that, that might look like something financial. That might look like serving with your time, like volunteering in Freedom Foods or something like that. Or it might look like coming alongside other people who are in a different place in their spiritual journey and encouraging them and supporting them and lifting them up and praying for them. But what is your season and what does it look like for you to step forward in this season? So why don't we stand?
and let's pray together um, and ask, just ask God personally, what is my season? What is it? What does it look like for me to step forward in this season? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the miraculous everyday provisions that we've read about this morning. And God, we just acknowledge that that is supernatural provision in itself. But also, God, we, we acknowledge that you have come to give us more that Jesus came to give us more. And I pray that where we have maybe been satisfied with less or satisfied with just enough, God, that you will increase our hunger. But God, you would also increase our boldness and our willingness to step out from our comfort zone, from our place of safety and security, step forward into a place of risk and faith. And God, as well, where we can acknowledge and see your hand in our life and supernatural fruitfulness in our lives, we bring that fruitfulness before you and say, Lord, have your way. Have your way with me. Have your way with my time, with my energy, with my money. Lord, with all the things that you have blessed me with, have your way so that I may become a blessing for others, so that we may be a community of blessing that seek to bless, to comfort, to support, and encourage each other in this season, that we would have enough, Lord, to give away to those in our communities who are without hope. Oh, Lord, stir our hearts for a revival that will change and transform this nation, that will rescue people out of darkness and despair and into your wonderful light. In Jesus' name, amen.